This is chapter 21 of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. I settle my tab. It's funny how humans can wrap their minds around things and fit them into their own versions of reality. Kyrna told me that long ago. As usual, I didn't appreciate his wisdom much until later. According to the LA News, the explosion at the Santa Monica Beach had been caused when a crazy kidnapper fired a shotgun at a police car. He accidentally hit a gas main, which had ruptured during the earthquake. This crazy kidnapper, a.k.a. Aries, was the same man who had abducted me and two other adolescents in New York and brought us across the country on a 10-day odyssey of terror. Poor little Percy Jackson wasn't an international criminal at all. He had just caused the commotion on... That way to the Greyhound bus in New Jersey, trying to get away from his captor. And afterwards, witnesses could have sworn that they'd seen a leather-cowled man on the bus. Why didn't I remember him before? The crazy man had caused the explosion at the St. Louis Arch. After all, no kid could have done that. And concerned witnesses in Denver had seen a man threatening his abductees outside her diner and gotten a friend to take a photo and notified the police. Finally, brave Percy Jackson, I was beginning to like this kid, had stolen a gun from his captor in Los Angeles and battled him shotgun to rifle on the beach. Police had arrived just in time, but in the specular explosion, five police cars had been destroyed and the captor had fled. No fatalities had occurred. Percy Jackson and his two friends were safely in police custody. The reporters fed us this whole story, and we just not enacted tearful and exhausted, which wasn't that hard and we played victimized kids for the camera all i want i said choking back my tears is to see my loving stepfather again every time i saw him on tv calling me a delinquent punk i knew somehow we'd be okay and i knew he'd want to reward each and every person in this beautiful city of los angeles with a free major appliance from his stores here's his phone number the police and reporters were so moved that they passed her in a hat and raised money for three tickets on the next plane to new york I knew that there was no chance but to fly. I hoped Zeus would cut me some slack, considering the circumstances. But it was still hard to force myself onto that hot flight. Takeoff was a nightmare. Every spot of turbulence was scarier than a Greek monster. I didn't unclench my hands from the armrest until we touched down safely in La Guarda. The local press was waiting for us outside security, but we managed to evade them thanks to Annabeth, who lured them away in her invisible Yankees cap, shouting, They're over by the frozen yogurt! Come on! then rejoined us at baggage claim. I split up at the taxi stand. I told Annabeth and Grover to get back to Camp Half-Blood and let Kyra know what had happened. They'd protested, and it was hard to let them go after all that we've been through. But I knew I had to do this last part of my quest by myself. And if things went wrong, the gods don't believe me. I wanted Annabeth and Grover to survive to tell Kyra in the tale. I hopped in a taxi and headed to Manhattan. Thirty minutes later, I walked into the lobby of the Empire State Building. I must have looked like a homeless kid. My tattered clothes, my scrapped-up face. I hadn't slept in at least 24 hours. I went up to the guard at the front desk and asked, 600th floor. He was reading a huge book with a picture of a wizard on the front. I wasn't much into fantasy, but that must book must have been good, because the guard took a while to look up. No such floor, kiddo. I need an audience with Zeus. He gave me a vacant smile. Sorry? You heard me. I was about to decide that this guy was a regular mortal, but and I'd better run for it before he called the straitjacket patrol. He said, No appointment, no audience, kiddo. Lord Zeus doesn't see anyone that isn't announced. Oh, I think he'll make an exception. I slipped off my backpack and unzipped the top. The guard looked inside at the metal cylinder, not getting what it was for a few seconds. Then his face went pale. 
Isn't that... Yes, it is, I promised. You want me to take it out and... No, no! He scrambled out of his seat, fumbled around his desk for a key card, then handed it to me. Insert this into the security slot. Make sure nobody else is in the elevator with you. I did as he told me. As soon as the elevator doors closed, I slipped the key into the slot. The card disappeared and a new button appeared on the console. A red one that said 600. I pressed it and waited and waited. Muzak played. Raindrops kept falling on my head. Finally, ding! The door slid open. I stepped out and almost had a heart attack. I was standing on a narrow stone walkway in the middle of the air. Below me was Manhattan from the height of an airplane. In front of me, white marble steps wound up the spine of a cloud and to the sky. My eyes followed the stairways to its end, where my brain just couldn't accept what I saw. Look again, my brain said. We were looking, my eyes insisted. It's really there. From the top of the clouds rose the decapitated peak of a mountain, its summit covered with snows. Clinging to the mountainside were dozens of multi-veiled palaces, a city of mansions, all with white column porticos, gilded terraces, and bronze braziers glowing with thousands of fires. Rose roamed lazily up the peak, where the largest palace gleamed against the snow. Precautiously perched gardens bloomed with olive trees and rose bushes. I could make out an open mark filled with colorful tents, a stone amphitheater built on one of the sides of the mountain, a hippodome, and a coliseum on the other. It was an ancient Greek city, except it wasn't in ruins. It was new and clean and colorful, the way Athens must have looked 2,500 years ago. This place can't be here, I told myself. The tip of a mountain hanging over New York City like a billion-ton asteroid. How could something like that be anchored above the Empire State Building in plain sight of millions of people and not get noticed? But here it was, and here was I. My trip through Olympus was a daze. I passed some giggling wood nymphs who threw olives at me from their garden. Hawkers in the market offered to sell me ambrosia on a stick and a new shield and a genuine glitter weave replica of the Golden Fleece, as seen on Hephaestus TV. The nine muses were tuning their instruments for a concert in the park while a small crowd gathered, satyrs and naiads, and a bunch of good-looking teenagers who might have been minor gods and goddesses. Nobody seemed worried about an impending civil war. In fact, everyone seemed to be in a festive mood. Several of them turned to watch me as I passed and whispered to themselves. I climbed the main road towards the big palace on the peak. It was a reverse copy of the palace in the underworld. There, that everything had been black and bronze. Here, everything glittered white and silver. I realized Hades must have built his palace to resemble this one. He wasn't welcomed in Olympus, except on the winter solstice. So he'd built his own Olympus underground. Despite my bad experience with him, I felt a little sorry for the guy. To be banished from this place seemed really unfair. It would make anybody bitter. Steps led up to the central courtyard. Past that, the throne room. Room really wasn't the right word. This place was the Grand Central Station that looked like a broom closet. Massive columns rose to the dome ceiling, which had been gilded with moving constellations. Twelve thrones built for the beings of size of Hades were arranged in a uverted U, just like the cabins at Camp Half-Blood. Enormous fire crackled in the central hearth pit. The thrones were empty, except for the two at the end. The head throne on the right, and its immediate left. I didn't have to be told who the two gods were that were sitting there. 
waiting for me to approach. I came towards them, my legs trembling. The gods were giant in human form, as Hades had been. I could barely look at them without feeling a tingle, as if my body was starting to burn. Zeus, the lord of the gods, wore a dark blue pin-stripped suit and sat on a simple throne made of solid platinum. He had a well-trimmed beard, marbled gray and black like storm clouds. His face was proud and handsome and grim. His eyes were rainy gray. As I got nearer to him, air crackled and smelled of ozone. The god sitting next to him was his brother, without a doubt. He was dressed very differently. He reminded me of some beachcomber from the Key West. He wore leather sandals, khaki Bermuda shorts, and a Tommy Bahama shirt with coconuts, parrots, all over it. His skin was deeply tanned, his hands scarred like an old-time fisherman's. His hair was black, like mine. His face had been the same brooding look that had always gotten me branded as a rebel. But his eyes, sea green like mine, were surrounded by sun wrinkles that told me he smiled a lot too. His throne was a deep sea fisherman's chair. It was a simple swiveling kind with a black leather seat and a built-in holster for a fishing pole. Instead of a pole, the holster held a bronze trident flickering with green lights around the tips. The gods weren't moving or speaking, but there was tension in the air, as if they had just finished an argument. I approached the fisherman's throne and knelt at his feet. Father, I dared not look up. My heart was racing. I could feel the energy emancipating from the two gods, as if I said the wrong word, they had no doubt blast me to dust. To my left, Zeus spoke. Should you not address the master of the house first, boy? I kept my head down and waited. Peace, brother, Poseidon finally said. His voice stirred my oldest memories, that warm glow I remembered as a baby, the sensation of the, this god's hand on my forehead. The boy differs to his father, is only right. You still claim him, then? Zeus said menacingly. You claim this child who you sired against our sacred oath. I have admitted to my wrongdoing, Poseidon said. I would now like to hear him speak. Wrongdoing. A lump swelled in my throat. Was that all I was? A wrongdoing? The result of a god's mistake? I have already spared him once already, Zeus grumbled, daring to fly through my domain. <laughs> Should have blasted him out of the sky for his impundence. And risk destroying your own master bolt? Poseidon asked calmly. Let's hear him out, brother. Zeus grumbled some more. I shall listen, he decided. I shall make up my mind whether or not to cast this boy down from Olympus. Perseus, Poseidon said. Look at me. I did. I wasn't sure what I saw in his face. There was no clear sign of love or approval. Nothing to encourage me. It was like looking at the ocean someday, and you could tell what mood it was in. Most days, though, it was an undreadable mystery. I got the feeling Poseidon didn't really know what to think of me. He did not know whether he was happy to have me as a son or not. In a strange way, I was glad that Poseidon was so distant. If he had tried to apologize or told me he loved me or even smiled, it would have felt fake. Like a human dad, making some lame excuse for not being around. I could live with that. After all, I wasn't sure about him yet either. Address Lord Zeus, boy, Poseidon told me. Tell him your story. So, I told Zeus everything. Just as it had happened, I took out the middle cylinder, which had begun sparking in the sky god's presence, and laid it at his feet. There was a long silence, broken by only the cackle of the hearth fire. Zeus opened his palm. The lightning bolt flew into it. As he closed his fist, the metallic points flared up with electricity until he was holding what looked like a classic thunderbolt, a five-meter javelin of arcing, hissing energy that made the hairs on my scalp rise. I sensed the boys telling the truth, Zeus muttered, but that Ares, would he do such a thing? 
It's most unlike him. He's proud and impulsive, Poseidon said. It runs in the family. Lord, I asked. They both said yes. Ares didn't act alone. Someone else, something else, came up with the idea. I described my dreams and the feelings I had had on the beach, and that momentary breath of evil that had seemed to stop the world and made Ares back off from killing me. In the dreams, I said, the voice told me to bring the bolt to the underworld. Ares hinted that he had been having those dreams too. I think he was being used, just as I was, to start a war. You were accusing Hades after all? Zeus asked. No, I said, I mean Lord Zeus. I've been in the presence of Hades. This feeling on the beach was different. It was the same thing I'd felt when I got close into that pit. That was the entrance to Tartarus, wasn't it? Something powerful and evil is stirring down there. Something even older than the gods. Poseidon and Zeus looked at each other. They had a quick, intense discussion in ancient Greek. I only caught one word. Father. Poseidon made some kind of suggestion, but Zeus cut him off. Poseidon tried to argue. Zeus held up his hand angrily. We will speak no more of this, Zeus said. I must go personally to purify this thunderbolt in the water of Lemos to remove any human taint from its metal. He rose and looked at me. His expression softened just for a fraction of a degree. You have done me a service, boy. Few heroes could have accomplished as much. I had help, sir. I said, Grover Underwood and Annabeth Chase. To show you my thanks, I shall spare your life. I do not trust you, Perseus Jackson. I do not like what your arrival means for the future of Olympus. But for the sake of the peace in the family, I shall let you live. Um, thank you, sir? Do not presume to fly again. Do not let me find you here when I return. Otherwise, you shall taste this bolt, and it shall be your last sensation. Thunder shook the palace. With a blinding flash of lightning, Zeus was gone. I was alone in the throne room with my father. Your uncle, Poseidon sighed. He has always had a flair for dramatic exits. I think he would have done well as the god of theater. For an uncomfortable silence, it was finally broken when I said, Sir, what was in that pit? Poseidon regarded me. You have not guessed? Kronos, I said, the god of the titans. Even in the throne room of Olympus, far away from Tartarus, named Kronos darkened the room, even made the hearth fire not seem as warm on my back. Poseidon gripped his trident. In the first war, Percy, Zeus cut our father, Kronos, into a thousand pieces, just as Kronos had done to his own father, Oroianus. Zeus had cast Kronos' remains into the darkest pits of Tartarus. The Titan army was scattered and their mountain fortress on Etna destroyed. Their monstrous allies driven to the furthest corners of the earth. And yet, Titans cannot die, any more than we gods can. Whatever is left of Kronos is still alive somewhere in hideous ways, still conscious and is in eternal pain, still hungering for power. He's healing, I said. He, he's coming back. Poseidon shook his head. From time to time over the eons, Kronos has stirred. He enters men's nightmares, breathes evil thoughts. He wakens restless monsters from the depths. But to suggest he could rise from the pit is another thing. That's what he intends, father. That's what he said. Poseidon was silent for a long time. Lord Zeus has closed discussion on this matter. You will, he will not talk of Kronos. You have completed your quest, child. That is all you need to do. But, I stopped myself. Arguing would do no good. It was very possible to anger the only god who I had on my side. As you wish, father. A faint smile played on his lips. Obedience does not come naturally to you, does it? No, sir. It must, I must take some blame for that, I suppose. The sea does not like to be restrained. He rose to his full height 
and looked up at his trident. Then he shimmered and became the size of a regular man, standing directly in front of me. You must go, child, but know first that your mother has returned. I stared at him, completely stunned. My mother? You will find her at home. Hades sent her when you recovered his helmet. Even the Lord of Death pays his debts. My heart was pounding. I couldn't believe it. Do you... Would you... I wanted to ask if Poseidon would come with me to see her, but then I realized that this was ridiculous. I imagined loading the god of the sea into a taxi and taking him to the Upper East Side. If he'd wanted to see my mom after all these years, he would have. And there's Smelly Gabe to think about. <sighs> Poseidon's eyes took on a little sadness. When you return home, Percy, you must make an important choice. You will find a package waiting in your room. Uh, a package? You will understand when you see it. No one can choose your path, Percy. You must decide. I nodded, though I didn't know what he meant. Your mother is a queen among women, Poseidon said wistfully. I have not yet met such a mortal woman in thousands of years. Still, I am sorry you were born, child. I have brought you a hero's fate. A hero's fate is never happy and is never anything but tragic. I tried not to feel hurt. Here's my own dad telling me he was sorry I'd been born. I don't mind, father. Not yet, perhaps, he said. Not yet. But it was an unforgivable mistake on my part. I'll leave you then, I bowed, awkwardly. I I won't bother you again. I was five steps away when he called. Perseus? I turned. There was a different light in his eyes. A fiery kind of proud. You did well, Perseus. Do not misunderstand me. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine. You are a true son of the sea god. As I walked back through the city of the gods, conversation stopped. The muses paused their concert. People in satyrs and naiads all turned towards me. Their faces filled with respect and gratitude. And as I passed, they knelt. As if I were some kind of hero.